0: Hello and welcome to today's episode of SBC This Week, a uh, weekly roundup of SBC news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. I'm Jonathan Howell and I'm joined by Amy Whitfield today and we have a special guest, Dr. Ken Hempel, presidential candidate uh, for this year in Dallas. Thank you, Dr. Hempel, for joining us.
1: Well, thank you. It's a beautiful day down here. I hope it's the same with you.
2: Excellent. It's great. So we are very excited to have Dr. Hill to just uh, talk with us, um, answer some questions. This is something we like to do every year when there are uh, presidential nominees. Um, and while we know that anyone can be nominated up until the, the very end, uh, having some Having some announcements ahead of time allows us to get to know the candidates a little better. So this is a great, um, a great opportunity through this conversation.
0: So, Dr. Hipper, we're just going to talk about a few things that are pressing issues in the SBC today. Uh, and, you know, we've seen tremendous increases over the past few years in cooperative program giving. This year, in fact, we're on pace for our first $200 million cooperative program annual giving year uh, in more than a decade if you're elected to the SBC presidency how would your presidency help continue this trend
1: forward well I'm glad to hear the trend is up because as you well know we've we've struggled over recent years in fact one of the reasons that I actually became a candidate was as much as anything as CP because I was a seminary president and I know how those students depend upon it and Amy, you probably as well in the mm-hmm. sense of tuition obviously that CP is such a critical part of that. Uh, My family has been a part of the mission uh, strategy, my wife working at IMB, et cetera, over these years, so I'm a a super advocate of that. I think one of the things that that I I want to emphasize is that CPP needs to be our default method of giving. Uh, A lot of churches have moved to kind of a combination with Great Commission giving as well, And, and every church is autonomous, and I certainly recognize that privilege. And it certainly has led a lot of our churches to do some unique mission things that I think we need to continue to do because that exposes laymen, etc. But percentage given, uh, started out 1925 when we started Cooperative Program at over 11%. It actually held steady to the 80s when it became about 10.8% per church. And today we're looking at 516 So even though CP giving is stronger now, and I'm thrilled to hear what you're saying. I, I, I couldn't be more delighted than to hear that. It, it's because of inflation and the number of churches. So we got to get back to percentage giving. A lot of churches, when we had the kind of the uh, ec- economical hiccup back in 2008, if you want to call it that, where a lot of churches were, were dealing with what a lot of people were, and that was kind of fixed salaries, things of that nature, Many churches went away from percentage giving and established the amount they were going to give. So they said, okay, this year we need to freeze it here. Well, it didn't get unfrozen. It didn't get fogged. So that's kind of the emphasis I'm making is that we need to kind of refocus on that percentage giving because obviously as the church uh, grows, as it's strengthened, as we add people to it, and as our economy is strengthened in income, then then, boy, the ships do really rise.
2: So, just kind of following up on that, one challenge that we have and we had for the last few years was trying to get more people giving to Lottie Moon. So, how do you, uh, how do you navigate that? Um, because I hear what you're saying about cooperative program being sort of the preferred method of giving, but we're also encouraging people, some to Annie Armstrong, but Lottie Moon being a big component of that. How do we encourage our churches, uh, in both?
1: Well, and and I don't, I certainly agree because obviously that Lottie Moon has been a a lifesaver for much of our mission work and in the Armstrong. I think it's both and, and I've always promoted both in my church. I think go back to the missions education component because we, we, you know, if we're going to encourage people to give, there's got to be a couple of things. Number one, we got to restore trust across the board. There's got to be trust in a local church where the people feel that their church budget really does reflect kingdom priorities. Then there's got to be a trust that our state conventions, our national convention entities are using the money wisely. So we've got to reestablish a trust all the way across the board. But we've also moved away from a lot of our missions education. Now, I'm not suggesting we need to go back to sunbeams and RAs and GAs, etc. But those were vital components of, of our children learning how we do missions and why missions are important. And a lot of churches moved to Iwana, for example, just to use a, uh, a comparison. When I was at Woodstock, Johnny Hunt was my pastor and they kind of moved towards Iwanas. And my wife went to it because she is a longtime advocate of IMB and Lottie Moon. And she said, Dr. Johnny, we need to put a missions component in our Iwana training. So there's ways of doing it. So you can, we pull materials that were a part of sbc life kind of strategy towards this and pulled it into that awana program so that they not only got scripture memory but they got some mission to education so i think if we're going to restore a real passion for giving to all of those components because they are different in in that way you know you can't do salaries off a lot of money because you got to have a set base that's why cp giving is so critical but so many of these bigger projects are funded by that Lottie Moon. So I, I think it's very important to do it. I think you know it. I find a lot of our churches, even our students on our campus, uh, they don't even know what the name Lottie Moon means. You know, that's with, the truth. And yeah. Her, you know her legacy and why we have a fund related to her name and and what it does, what it accomplishes. So I think missions education. As well as CP education, you know, we haven't really had a kind of a, uh, a an educational strategy related to this since Plan Growth and Giving way way back. In fact, I was one of the people who went around the state of Virginia trying to teach that book by Cecil and Susan Ray, and, and I think that was a missing component of the Great Commission research.
2: That's a, that's really helpful. Uh, So let's move to the issue about appointments, appointments and nominations, because that's really a key part of the, the president's role in the SBC. And there's been a lot of conversation about that this year and in the last few years about the issue of diversity uh, on our different committees. And so that just continues to be a discussion. What do you think that we could do strategically as a convention um, to increase diversity on a number of fronts at the denominational level?
1: Well, I think that's a great question. And I think it's got to start uh, in every local church, association, state convention. You know, I think that we need to think about th- this diversity at every level. Obviously, our churches need to be more diverse, first of all. And then we need sometimes serving in an association or state convention really gives you experience that would allow the presidents uh, of of the convention or the committee and committees, et cetera, to know people who have had experience in Southern Baptist life and know the mechanism, how it works. So in terms of my appointments, the, the answer is yes, I want to see diversity. That is not just uh, black and white or Hispanic, but male and female, small church, large church. I think sometimes we forget that point of diversity as well, as well as uh, you know, the, uh, the dynamic of uh, different age groups. I think there's a health and having, both the, the, the more experienced people as well as the younger guys, because the the young generation, this next generation, we've got to pass the baton to them. And if we don't give them that opportunity now at, at any of these levels, association, state, national convention, but you don't always start at the national convention level if you haven't been involved in a local association or a state. So let me add one other criteria that I, I want to put on the table. And having been at the other end of this, that is getting trustees that were a part of that, Committee appointment. uh, I want to to appoint people that are passionate uh, not only about Southern Baptist Convention but about that entity. In other words, I had some trustees that came southwestern that were good, godly men and women, but they weren't passionate about theological education. And so I want to make sure when I talk with these people about those appointments that if somebody's going to Southeastern Seminary where you're a student, that they're passionate about theological education that if somebody is going to the IMB, that they are passionate about the Great Commission. So I, I want to add that as a category, too, along with those other issues of diversity.
0: All right. So whenever you pastored in the 80s and 90s, and this kind of follows up on that with the, the uh, diversity angle, churches were a, a much more homogenous back then. What have you learned over the past 20 years now that you've been out of the pastorate about how to reach people in 2018 as churches have changed and are more heterogeneous today?
1: Well, first of all, the the good news was I pastored uh, First Baptist Norfolk, which was a military church, and so we were we were actually very racially diverse even then. Uh, my Hi. deacon deacon in my classroom was black. Our chairman of the deacons was uh, uh, the highest ranking black officer in the military. Uh, we had uh, couples that were racially mixed. Marriage we had Koreans, so we had that kind of church back then, which was pretty exciting. And and the truth is, we reach people the same way in every generation that's with the gospel. And so we've got, you know, I don't think color needs to be even a category. So that's why sometimes when people talk about how do you reach this or that, to me, we got to be colorblind in that sense. And so if our evangelism has got to be strategically uh, thought out as to how we how do we appeal to all age groups, as well as uh, different ethnic diversity that we're dealing with today. And it's a challenge. It's a very real challenge because we can even see it in music and the worship wars, which sometimes relates to ageism, you know, that we've we've got to, how, how do you cross that barrier? So I think we got to listen to each other. I think we got to have some very honest and open dialogue uh, about how we do this. I think we're going to have to think seriously about how we do evangelism in every context because our baptisms are at the 1947 level. Uh, and, and, and so not only does attendance go down our small group attendance is down you guys will know that as well as anybody like mm-hmm. uh, our worship attendance is down a lot of people say well we're not putting as much emphasis on small groups now we're on worship well worship dropped from 2010 about 6 million to 2016 about 5.2 million about a million drop in that in that six-year period so we've got to put a new emphasis on how we do evangelism. And I know that, by the way, it's a good thing calls happening today. You know, the evangelism task force is meeting right now or has been meeting since Monday. And I'm praying that some great concepts will come out of that that will challenge Southern Baptists, not just to reach people, but to reach all people. I, I don't think we can talk about reaching the nations and not reach our communities, which now almost reflect the nations as well. There's got to be an openness into preaching the gospel to everybody.
2: That's a uh, that's good. And that actually leads into some of our uh, uh, leads into the next question. Just thinking through how things have changed, uh, even in technological advancements. Um, so how do you think the SBC can best utilize technology uh, to reach the loss, particularly when you talk about reaching different groups of people?
1: Well, I, I'm, uh, it's a great question because we have a great program on our campus, North Greenville University, where I teach now. We send a lot of students, by the way, to you at Southeastern there. but Thank you uh, for that. Yeah, we're, we're trying to help you out. But uh, we've got a great program that really is looking at that. And, I, and I've met a young man that many of you know, second vice president a couple of years ago or, uh, with, with uh, Steve Gaines, uh, Malachi O'Brien, who really that is his passion. Yeah, and I think I think we've got to explore all options. Uh, I think, you know, obviously Twitter, Facebook, but it's going to go beyond that. It's just. This this thing is not going to stop. This train is on the tracks and we've got to figure out, you know, how do we utilize it for good and for the gospel? I, I yeah, you to look, go ahead.
2: Do, Dr. O'Brien did his uh, his project here. His demon project was on that at Southeastern. So he's done some. We're some hoping
1: work. to have him on our campus next year to work with a number of our students and all to, to do that. I think he's kind of at the forefront of thinking about this. And uh, I hope that uh, he's had some input into that uh, evangelism committee as well.
0: Kind of going back to something you mentioned earlier, the, the leadership transitions. Uh, that's something that we talk about quite frequently on the podcast every year. We're kind of looking at those potential leadership transitions. We've seen it with state conventions. Now we're seeing it with some of the, the national entities yes. as well. Uh, there's been a lot of change, obviously, in yes, the leadership in the SBC in recent years. How do you see that leadership transition continuing to play out? over the next five to 10 years?
1: Well, obviously, uh, some were a bit unexpected. So, there, uh, you, know, uh, you, know, uh, you know, at the executive committee, that kind of a heartbreaking transition there. And and I think Dr. Platt felt really called back to the local church and to his family with young children that way. And I, and I, I, I simply ad- admire his integrity in doing that. So right now we have at least those two open. You know, when you look at the ages of many of our executive leaders, there, there, there obviously will be some openings in the next two to five years. I mean, perhaps by retirement, I'm not predicting anything or suggesting anything, but yes, that's that's just a natural progression. Yeah, absolutely. It's a natural progression. And so I think we need to reflect diversity at that level as well. Uh, and, And obviously, that's an issue related to the trustees because the trustees are the ones that that first of all, make those selections. There'll be a search committee out of each of those trustee agencies. I'm sure that's going on right now, at executive committee and IMB. And so that's why these appointments are very important that, that we appoint people that will reflect Southern Baptist interests and desires, even as diverse as we are, which makes that challenge even more so. So I think we need, We need to really focus on on those trustees and getting people, again, going back to the criteria I added, that they are passionate about that organization because then they're going to really seriously pray and seek for God's best leader for that
2: kind of jumping to uh missions just thinking about because that's that's a, a huge focus of ours obviously and in some ways that's kind of the the big thing that we come together uh, to cooperate for is to to go to the ends of the earth. Uh we're also in a changing world. I mean the the uh global landscape is changing tremendously because of technology, because of ability for people to travel, uh political changes, economic changes. How how does that affect Um, our missions work and our strategy to reach the ends of the earth, that, you know, the the world's just changing at a rapid pace. How do you think we should approach that?
1: Well, again, we need God's wisdom in the midst of this because all of the plans and programs and technology without the power of God is is still void. And so I I think we still got to be a people on our knees. But at the same time, we do need to use every avenue that God's made available. We made a pretty significant shift uh, in our missiology and our strategy, and that is to go to the unreached people groups. And we have made such an emphasis there that we may have lost a little bit of focus on some of those areas that that we've been very good at, like, you know, moving into areas to to educate the locals with our colleges, seminaries that were overseas. So I think it has to be a combination of both. I, I don't think you know there there is a policy by the way where jesus said you know that, that sometimes you shake your dust off your dust off your feet and go on to the next so the older mission strategy was based primarily on homogeneity receptivity the 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 arn wagner those guys who came back mm-hmm. with those early church growth so then we moved to a little more of the the unreached people groups and and i think it needs to be both and I, this is one of those places where it, it's hard to say, well, let's put all our eggs here, all our eggs there. I was, I've was, i been in several mission uh, contacts with some of our IMB personnel, and we were driving through the area with them, a huge church over here. If I, I won't mention the, the label, but it would not be theologically where we were. And then many of our smaller Baptist churches struggling. Well, primarily that church was reaching out through a ministry-based evangelism, and we kind of moved, away from doing some of those. So I think we got to do both In I think we've got to continue to use technology. I know uh, a number of folks who are working in the, in the Muslim world where that's the best way they can do evangelism because in some of these settings, you can't go out on the street corner and pass out Bibles. You, you can't kind of establish or plant a church there and put a, a, a church logo on it. So you've got to be able to use technology in a creative way, putting the gospel into into, some of them are doing it more of a comic book effect where it's easy to read. So there's a lot of things going on now that I think we need not only to applaud, but to continue to look at and get our best minds at work. I I think that's why I'm excited that so many of these young people that I see on our our college campus and across your seminary campuses, it thrills me. I, I mean, when I see these people that are willing to go to the ends of the earth, and they're so creative, and I think we need to free them up, you know, within the context, obviously, of our Baptist faith in Message 2000, but to free them up in methodology that we've got to look at every avenue.
2: Jonathan, you got, I mean, that's, that's kind of the end of our question. Yeah, that's, Do you that's have...
0: pretty much what we got. So, uh, you know, as we end this, Dr. Hempel, what's the one thing you'd want Southern Baptists to, to think about, pray about as we head to Dallas?
1: Well, I I think we need to pray for unity and the empowering of God's Spirit. You know, I I am a strong advocate of congregational polity. I believe in it, and so this is how we do business. And and I I understand that numbers are perhaps going to be eight to nine thousand, be the largest convention since two thousand ten.
0: Yeah, we've been talking about that on the podcast for the last year or so. So you know, we've been kind of expecting this.
1: Yeah. Well, to me, to me, that's thrilling. It says that Southern Baptists are, are interested. I hope they'll stay in the arena for the reports as well as for the votes. Sometimes we hope so too. Yeah. We are all about
0: engaging in education here on the podcast. I mean, that's, that's why we do what we do.
1: Yeah. A few, a few years ago, I remember my wife's really connected to the IMB. She's passionate about that. And so we had some big vote right before the IMB uh, report and the room was packed. And by the mm-hmm. time they made the transition, the IMB report, there was nobody in there. And my wife said, what are we coming down here for? Just to vote? Or are we? Or How do you vote on things if you don't listen to those reports and be a part of that whole process? So I'm thrilled. I, I'm praying. Go we ahead. We I'm echo that. Yeah, I remember unity. that. Yeah. Okay. My we, yeah. we echo, echo
0: that sentiment.
1: So. Yes.
2: Yes, very much so.
1: So I'm praying that we'll come out unified and empowered because there has been a lot of issues that have just been raised that seem divisive, and I think it's fine for us to talk about those issues, but not to vilify each other. I think it's important that we separate those two, that that it's okay for us to differ in some areas, and, and yet we can come together around the cooperative program, around the Baptist Faith of Message 2000, and reach the nations in our neighborhoods.
0: All right. Well, thank you, Dr. Hempel. We appreciate your time today. And uh, we appreciate everybody listening to SBC this week. We'll see you next time.
2: See you next time.